This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Jacob Bertrand, we are in, uh, I would say, a pickle because I was thinking of the movie Sandlot, uh, the greatest pickle that any of us had ever seen. Uh, but we're not really. It's just that usually people don't know what our episodes are going to be about because the one is not related to the other. I'm speaking of the one and the other in the abstract sense. But we already announced the fact that we were going to do a series during Advent. So people know what to expect. So they've been thinking about the Purgatorio for like the last week. So the chances of our surprising them are infinitely reduced. Like when you don't have the element of surprise, how are you going to ambush your listeners? Yeah, especially because like we don't post the talk titles, the episode titles and the content in the name of the episode. So we really get people every time. Exactly. Wait, yeah. we, what? Do we really? We do. That's incredible. Yikes. Okay. All right. So maybe we we haven't had the element of surprise for some time now. I think our biggest surprises have been like our our early like cave videos when, <laughs> when our cameras were just like we're wearing some yeah. I was always surprised by that. Y- you yeah. were surprised by it. Yeah. yeah. You you never ceased to be surprised by it. But um yeah, surprise, surprised by joy is something that C.S. Lewis wrote. He was a writer, he writes literature. Well, here we are. We're talking about Dante. We're talking about poetry. We're talking about literature, which we actually return to with some frequency. People might think these guys with their lives of leisure, always reading books. Nope, we're just resting or reposing on the laurels of past accomplishments. We haven't read books I was in like gonna seven say, I was going to say all the books that I've talked about, they, I've read them like decades ago. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, Our so, list is getting smaller. Yep. But for a variety of reasons, one, because we're like exhausting most Catholic authors, we're exhausting many most Catholic authors. And also because like the weird ones that we've done recently, people are like head scratch. Why are you talking about Kazuo Ishiguro? I didn't even know that. Happened. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, even the contributors themselves, I was on the episode and I didn't even remember. Um, we might just start reposting episodes. Exactly. There was a thing that, that, that existed like 10 years ago. What was it called? Tumblr, where it just reposted content. I think, I think it was like so. repost, repost, repost. I don't know if they reposted good content. So if they reposted bad content, I distanced myself from Tumblr. The only reason that I know that it existed is because I worked as a summer intern at First Things as one of my ministry placements, and they had the office directly across the hall. Really? So, yeah, so I just like waved as I went into my own. I didn't know that. We were in New York space. that summer. That was what, 2003? 14. 14. Yeah, 13, you were in Kenya. Oh, yeah. That, that should be an episode. It'd be very much like the Camino episode. So if you want to get the gist of, of my thoughts, yeah. uh, you can tune into that and then just substitute Kenya. That summer, you'll make fun no, of me. No, Kenya was kind of cool, but... It was yeah. for you. Um, I was at a pregnancy center in the summer of 2013, and I used to show up early because I rode the bus, the H2, the H3, or the H4, for those of you who are interested in, in Washington Metro yeah. Area Transit Authority. Wamada. Um, and I, I was living the refill coffee life. So I'd like buy a coffee in the morning and then I'd bring my cup back the next day. Exactly. It was for this face that I described the story because I love it, these it opportunities. It actually like turns my stomach. <laughs> Wait, it gets better. Like so, a, a styrofoam one? Yeah, yeah, basically. Like like somewhere between styrofoam and paper. It was a styro paper. It was a paper foam. Um, but, but the thing is, uh, whatever the adhesive was that kept I, this I cup together. I honestly yeah, can't yeah, yeah. listen Let's to the rest go. of it. Let's go. It's for this that I've come into the world. It wasn't too terribly strong, and it wasn't heat resistant. It was not as especially heat resistant. So I'd get the refill. The first the first cup was delicious. The second cup, was the refill cup, was usually pretty good. But I'd always try a third one, and the cup would gradually come apart whilst I drank the third cup. <laughs> 
because I was doing poverty experimentation at that time. I was like, do I need to shower every day? Just kidding. I did. I did. I did. We should get to the episode before you kill me. Um, so here we are in the midst of a three-part series, uh, Spiritual Insights from Dante, and we're doing Spiritual Insights from Dante's Purgatorio. So a lot of people will say that I this- I can translate that. Purgatory. Yep. Nice. Nailed yeah. it. Thank yeah. you. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, look at you go. My Italian- Top notch. Oh yeah. Especially, yeah. what- like 15th century Italian? Uh-huh. Well, that'd be, yeah, 14th. But 14th century yeah, it's Italian. The same thing. But my 15th is better. Yeah. I prefer the Milanese dialect to the Tuscan dialect, but, you know, whatever. Equivalent over the things. Can't have everything. Exactly. Um, so we, we talked about the Inferno, not you or I, uh, but people. Uh, they out there saying, talked about the Inferno, and now we're talking about I the Purgatory. It was Father Patrick and Father yeah. Joseph Anthony. I mean, I couldn't yeah. verify. I didn't know. I didn't want to yeah. throw anybody under the proverbial bus, even though there's no bus involved. But alas. Um, so we're talking about the purgatory and, um, what, what do you think are some good ways as we approach this text to draw forth from it, its spiritual fruit? What do you do when you read Dante? Um, that's a good question. I find a translation mm-hmm. because I don't want to appear too like stuffy exactly. by reading it in the original. Yeah. Heaven um, forfend. Yeah, that's right. So I find a good translation, uh, and I read it and, um, because it like I guess depending on the translations that you read, whether like the translator tries to do a more kind of literal transla- translation of the text or tries to um, kind of find like the rhythm because it's poetry, it's a long, it's sort of like an epic poem, right? But like there, there's a rhythm to it in the Italian. Um, whether that's sort of pre- preferred by the translator or some combination of both, I think. I don't know. I ended up, I, when I've read it, I've read, I think, Anthony Esselin's translations, which I found approachable. So my, my point here is you might have a translation of, of Dante, of the Purgatorio or uh, the Paradiso or the Inferno, um, and you might pick it up and be like, this is English or that sort of thing. So I would say pick up a different one if you can. Anthony Esselin's is good. I think a lot of us here have read Anthony Esselin's translations. There are probably others, but um, that would be like tip number one. I think tip number two, because if you're not familiar with um, Dante or the the whole Divine Comedy and the trilogy and that sort of thing, I do think a lot of people will pick up the Inferno and just read the Inferno because it's like interesting and people are being punished in hell. It's kind of like a, like a clickbaity movie kind of thing. But I think if you're going to commit to reading, you need to read the whole thing, which is a commitment. Mm-hmm. If you're going to commit to this commitment, mm-hmm. it's a commitment. Yeah. Um, but it's meant to be read together. Um, and so I, I think that, that that's important, not just to pick up one or the other or just to read about heaven, the Paradiso, but to read it together. So invest in that, I think. Those would be my first. Oh, the last one is... Um, we've talked about this and other podcasts with other books and that sort of thing of like, you don't have to have an expert grasp on everything you're reading as you're going through. So yeah. like, if something's like, what is, you know, just like turn the page, you know, like keep going, like get, yeah. you know, get through it. It's, it's good. So those would be some, you know, amateur tips Nice for other amateurs. My amateur tips are, so I think it's good to have a little reading plan, like you said, to get through it. And I think that the Purgatory is very wonderfully read or beautifully read during the season of Lent, mm. and then the Paradiso during the season of Easter. So the you Inferno might, during Advent. Uh, no. Oh. Um, so I was going to say the Inferno during the dark days of winter, so that you can plunge into those infernal depths just when you are most deprived of sunlight and all of the happy hormones that come with it. 
Um, so yeah, you just want to redouble your sadness. Just kidding. But seriously. It's a good time um, to read it, though. Yeah. That pattern works. So like January, early February, work through the Inferno. February, March, work through the parody. Excuse me, the Purgatorio. You know, April, early May, work through the, the Paradiso. And that's a good way to, to approach it. And I would say, you know, maybe read the notes. The notes will certainly help you. But if you find that the notes are an obstacle to the reading of the poem, then you can skip some notes. So like don't get too completionist about it would be another thing that yeah. I would recommend. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It commends itself to your own edification. And as a result of which, like, regardless of how in-depth you go, you're going to be able to glean something from it. And chances are, if you read it once, you'll probably read it again because it has a way of retaining its readership. Um, okay, so tippity, tippity two. Um, now, let's talk about the Purgatorio insofar as we said that we would. Wait, I have another sidebar. Just kidding. Um, so there, there's whenever you talk about Dante, whenever you talk about the Divine Comedy, it's typically, you know, you start with a story and then you unpack that story because... He tells a beautiful story, and you can't really improve upon a beautiful story because the point of a beautiful beautiful story isn't to say, like, well, what's the story about? Like, give me the life lesson. It's like, no, the story itself is something beautiful, and it's meant to kind of transfigure us as we encounter it, as we live it, as we experience it. So one that I love to start with, it's I think it's in the second canon of the Purgatory, where you have the angel boatman bringing a boat or a ship of souls over from the mouth of the Tiber down to whatever, the, the South Pole where the where Purgatory is. And... Um, and uh, in Dante's cosmology. And in that, you know, boat conducted by the angel boatman, there's a soul of one Casella, who was a musician, who was a contemporary of Dante's in Florence before Dante was banished. They're very delighted to see each other. And uh, Casella starts playing one of Dante's songs set to music. I, I think it was or one of his poems, I should say, become a song, uh, from the Vita Nuova. And they're, they're just enjoying this, this wonderful kind of riotous moment of, of celebration and festivity. And then the guardian of the shore of Purgatory, Cato, comes and just breaks it up. And he says, listen, you're here for a sole purpose, so get about your business. So there's a kind of severity with which the ascent up the Mount of Purgatory begins. Namely, you are here for one purpose. It's clear you are to be purged, to be cleansed of your sins, so that way you can ascend to your rightful place among the ranks of the saints. Now, you say to yourself, that's not only true of purgatory, that's also true of earth. So how do we impart a similar sense of urgency, or how do we draw forth from that some spiritual fruit? Yeah, it's that that scene, it reminds, like, it doesn't remind me, but it, it sort of paints for me kind of the reality of those, and, like, I find myself there sometimes, too, of, like, having lost focus on that for which we're made, you know, like the pursuit of life. It's like, yeah, they are going to purgatory. They know where they're, you know, the ship is like, it's not like a mystery ship like our episodes are when we surprise people. Um, but it's <laughs> it's like they know what's happening. And, and yet um, they're singing songs and enjoying and like sort of kind of like playing ignorant as to what's coming. You know, they're, they're not set about for what's coming. And it serves as a good reminder to us too, because we can't, we can't arrive at our end, at our, at our heavenly end by accident. You know, that, that's not how it works. Because to share life with God here and now, but also in heaven forever, is an invitation that, that we have to accept. It's not something that we're forced or dragged into. And then the acceptance of that invitation requires our, our I used the word commitment about 40 times already, but <laughs> what's another? Um, but it requires our commitment to that. It doesn't mean it always works excellently or perfectly, but that we orient our lives to the pursuit of that end. Um, 
so this first kind of scene says it's like there, there's this there's this what um, kind of like um, I don't know there's they, they sort of sit at they're at odds with each other like what's happening in the boat and that to which they're sailing and when they kind of come together it's like yeah like y'all come on get your act together giddy up yeah as Dante once said um, okay so progressing then of the Mount of Purgatory there are a few ranks before you get to the gates of Purgatory proper. Um, where you meet the angel guardian of purgatory and he carves the seven P's on Dante's forehead representing the seven deadly sins. So there are these kind of stages of anti-purgatory where you encounter the excommunicants and the late repentance and the indolent and the valley of the kings. Um, And it strikes me in those various encounters uh, that we have a deeper appreciation with each story as it's as it's told of the ponderous mercy of God, and specifically how God is poised in his mercy to claim those who might be far off. You know, like like a thief in the night. He comes when you least expect it, not to catch you unawares, but to catch you in the web of his mercy. And so, like, he'll talk to Buonaconte de Montefeltro, who talks about the Battle of Campaldino and how, he, you know, he's, he's lost in the River Arno, I think, and, but even as his lifeblood is gushing from his wounded neck, he manages to pronounce the name of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and that in itself is sufficient for his salvation. Now, it's going to be some time before he makes his way to heaven because there's a lot yet to purge, but it's like the Lord will take whatever we consent to and cooperate with, even the most minuscule thing as a way by which to draw us back to himself permanently, stably in the life of heaven. So what do you think about these various stories, these various encounters which testify to God's mercy? Yeah, what my, my first... Like my not my first thought in the sense of I'm first hearing them, but like my first thought here is is that purgatory seems to be a sort of like scary place in the sense of like you have a lot of people in purgatory who have great sin, who have you know some sin for, and we'll talk about like the different types of sin as we enter in. Um, but it seems to me that that there's a sort of like frightfulness about it, even though those, you mentioned this permanent state, you know, even though those souls in purgatory are are going to at one, I was gonna say at one point in time, at some point in time, going to arrive at the gates of heaven, um, there's still like a frightfulness to it. And I think as we were talking about like their boat ride and entrance there, and then beginning to meet these people on this sort of antechambers, that that sort of like gravitas and seriousness kind of sets in. But there's also like a beauty in it too, because like the the ascent up the mountain is to somewhere. It's not it's not like a thankless or not a, it's not a what uh, not a thankless task, but a, a sort of like um, it comes to an end. You know, yeah, there, yeah, there's not a an point aimless to, task. An aimless or... task. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's also a beauty to it too um, that is not experienced, of course, in the inferno. You know, the, it's there. There's similarities, but like the end is different. And you begin to see this here where it's like, okay, people have begged God's mercy and whether it's late or how, you know, and, and there's a hopefulness kind of beginning to permeate even what seems to be daunting. Yeah. And then, you know, as you ascend, it's interesting, the source of our hope or the horizon of our hope is made very clear. There's this very striking scene in which Dante learns for the first time that he can ascend when the sun isn't out, right? So when the sun sets, he loses the power to make his way up the mount. And that communicates in spades, and Virgil helps him to interpret it, that it's only by the grace of God that one makes any progress, whether in this life or in the next, like insofar as we make progress improperly so-called in purgatory, it's more so a matter of sloughing off those things which hindered or which otherwise posed obstacles to our progress while in life. So this, this idea of like the primacy of grace, the primacy of God's initiative, which we encounter here in this life, 
in various ways, but in the next life yet more powerfully and ultimately in the glory of heaven. So yeah, I don't know your thoughts on this idea of, of God's initiation and how it kind of characterizes the life of purgatory. Yeah, I think so, you know, so much of our, of our issues, for lack of a better word, in the spiritual life are, are ones of, of trust of like handing over to, to our Lord. Um, and that is like on full display here in with Dante that, that, there, as you said, it's only by God's mercy, only by His grace that we're that we're brought into His life, um, and that's here now too. That's not just a purgatory thing. That's here now, um, but that that comes in different ways and in different flavors and different shapes, different times, seasons. With our growing, our growth in in the particular theological virtues of you know faith, hope, and charity, but of ultimately trusting, surrendering, giving ourselves um, more and more to to God and his plan and his will rather than, than our own. So even this like setting of the sun, the rising of the sun, ascending during the sun's presence. And when the sun isn't present, when it's quote unquote, like God is not present at that moment, he's not moving, he's not working. It's like, we're not moving anywhere. And it's just, it's this sort of reiteration of the primacy of God, but also his care for us, not just a sort of like, it's only on my time schedule because I'm having, I'm going to sleep otherwise, you know, it's like yeah. God cares, yeah. he loves, he desires, yep. but it's, but it's him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Him at work in us, through us. Um, yeah. There's some cool scenes too, where you have like, uh, I don't know, St. Lucy is involved and then like a, like a, I don't know, big eagle or like an angel or something. I don't remember, I don't remember exactly all the particular details, but like he's even transported to higher ranks irrespective of, you know, his efforts. It's like God is conspiring towards our good Mm-hmm. Not in the sense like God is the great sugar daddy in the sky, even though there is a Dominican blessing of food between meals, which addresses God as largitor, which as far as I can tell, big sugar daddy in the sky is a decent representation of that word. Just kidding. Um, there's just a connection between largitor and largesse. Moving on, um, in the sense that like God is poised to communicate his own divine life, and you can't partake of his divine life except by making progress, because it has a gravity to it. Yeah. So whereas there's a kind of like inertial slouching in hell, you kind of like collapse your way to the infernal pits yet there's a kind of gravitational attraction which takes place in purgatory which draws you up um and god's the one who exercises it okay turning then to the seven circles i mean if you can call them circles like the seven terraces really of the mount of purgatory we're surprised to find that it's the immaterial sins like pride and then envy and then anger and then sloth that you encounter first and then those more material sins like avarice, gluttony, lust that you encounter subsequently. And there's this a strange logic to it because we tend to obsess more about, about material sins, like specifically people who are in patterns of habitual sexual sin. It comes to characterize their whole thought world right there. They become consumed with it. And it's like, this is just who I am. This defines me and I'll never get over it. And it feels especially weighty. But here we're being told the most Grievous offenses are those of an immaterial sort and the less grievous offenses of a more material sort. So how do we make sense of that and how does that help inform our own lives? Yeah, I think in ways too, the relationship between the immaterial and the material sins as, you, as Dante and you've you know explained, Dante's laid them out, you've explained. Um, often, it might not always be the case, but especially with you mentioned lust and this sort of thing, lust doesn't exist. Those sort of sins don't exist on their own. Um, there's often underlying reasons as to why people partake or give in or habituate themselves to these sort of things. So, you know, like um, pride, envy, envy, I think in a particular way, um, has a big influence on 
on our like on our bodily expressions of things you know so if there's like a lot of self what self-hatred or like yeah envious thoughts or desiring you know that we placate we often i'll say it this way we often placate our spiritual woes in the material in material ways you know so these spiritual or immaterial immaterial realities often are expressed in in addition in material ways you know so they kind of underlie um so it, that kind of ratio of these are more severe because they they can corrupt more and and lead to what like disorder and other levels and ways so um we often think that well let's root out like symptoms and then disease kind of thing but here it seems to to attest to the opposite of like here are the serious like these will be purged first and the others will will come will follow and that sort of thing so that for ourselves in our lives here too it's if you know if there's a battle with with lust or food or you know whatever it might be it's like yeah we need to address that i'm not saying wait like let it chill and it'll you know but but it's it, the picture's bigger i guess is what i'm saying you know mm -hmm. the spiritual life is bigger um, and that's to also say like we ought not be consumed you know and defined by the by by these by our sin either yeah um okay then a quick review of the sins which are purged, I mean, the seven deadly sins. So you have pride, which is an inordinate attachment to our own excellence, whether real excellence or imagined excellence. Envy, which is a kind of sadness at the good of another because it represents a threat, a perceived threat to my good. Anger, which is an inordinate attachment to the rectification of justice or vindication, as it were. Sloth, which is a sadness at the divine good because it's seen as unattainable. Um, and then you have avarice, an inordinate attachment to wealth, gluttony, an inordinate attachment to food, and lust, an inordinate attachment to sexual pleasure. As you progress through these sins, you're, you're purged of them by what you know, Dante scholars call the contrapasso, to suffer the opposite. So like the proud are hunched under these, these heavy rocks, which they have to bear around the terrace, and the envious have their eyes sewn shut, and the angry are consumed in an enveloping cloud of smoke that chokes them, that they have to cough their way through, and dot, 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 you know? Um, so this, this idea of the contrapasso, seen from a certain angle, it looks like weird. Uh, like, what is it? Is God like creepy in his apportioning of punishments? But then seen from another angle, you can appreciate that what's happening here is God is giving us the medicine that we need to heal from our particular malady. This idea that it's not just a punishment, it's meant for satisfaction, that we're meant to to give our hearts to it, to give our wills to it, so that in embracing it as for our good, we show to God a love which redresses the wrong that we visited upon him during our earthly life. So I don't know, like in your practice of the sacrament of confession, you know, like in administering satisfactory penances to penitents or just in your counsel, what are ways in which you can help draw these connections between the things that we suffer and the growth that God wills? Yeah, the the connection between between like growth and virtue, the ridding our, of, of habitual sin or attachment to things, you know, whatever. Um, often the, the sort of practice of prayer, almsgiving and fasting is, is easily matched with, with, our, with our sin and ought to have a connection to our need for growth, right? So what it, like if someone struggles with, with gluttony and that sort of thing, it's like, okay, well, how are we going to remedy this? How are, you know, how are we going to move with God's grace to fix this? Well, the, the solution I find is more, a more helpful solution I find is to, again, match something. So maybe it's like fasting one day a week, 
And that just might be not eating between meals or, you know, something simple. But that uh, the the sort of healing is is not just a, like a, another checklist to do, but one that continually orients our mind and our in our disposition and our aim um, back to God. And especially if there are str- like there are obstacles to that by like checking those and having those be little reminders of like, OK, um, I need to perform some act of almsgiving because I'm I'm greedy and I like to buy and shop, you know, so whatever that might be, it, it's not rocket science connecting them, but having related reminders through our, through our penance, through our sacrifice, whatever I, it makes sense. You know, it makes sense to help that way. We do it in other things all the time. So why not the spiritual life, our life with Christ? Yeah. Um, so another thing that Dante scholars will sometimes observe is that we have a kind of progressive dematerialization in the Divine Comedy. So the scenes that are recounted in the Inferno, especially as you get deeper down, are especially, especially, especially uh, crass, um, like fleshy. Uh, so you have that scene with the one archbishop biting the head of the nobleman as they're frozen together in the river Cocytus. Um And it's like, woof. But then as you get to Purgatory, now you have these scenes where Dante goes to hug or to like touch an individual and he passes through. So the dematerialization is already begun and the souls will comment that they can't see um, Virgil's shadow, but they can see Dante's shadow. So it's like, you're a living man, but you're casting a shadow and yet, you know, so there's like, and then when you get to Paradiso, it's describing like light veiling light and it's basically impossible to describe the Empyrean heaven because it's like, what are you going to say? I mean, he tries and he tries nobly. And so there's there's a sense in which this progressive dematerialization, it already is happening here on Earth in the sense that uh, like we're seeking to cultivate attachments to higher things and detachment from lower things. That doesn't mean that we leave behind the body. You know, we're one thing, body and soul, a composite being. And yet we're trying to kind of move beyond some of our fleshly kind of um, inertia or fleshly attachments. How are, like, what are some ways in which, you know, this, this insight gleaned from the Purgatorio helps us to, to conduct our own pilgrimage here? Yeah. Um, we, what will I say? What, or how, how will I say? It's a great question. Yeah. Um, the primacy, when we think about what, what sin and especially originally, original, not originally sin, but original <laughs> sin does to us is it inverts the relationship between the body and the soul or the primacy between the body and the soul and that we begin to, and we do, um, put the, the goods of the body first and those become disordered and excessive anyhow, rather than the goods of the soul, um, they're, they're meant to move together. And part of our, part of our continued conversion even on this side of, of heaven, God willing, is is by his grace, that right relationship being put back in place. So that's not to say that the body becomes neglected, but that it follows and aids the pursuits of the good of the soul, of the goods of the soul. Um, so for us, and thinking about that, 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 that means that we ought to become more and more habituated to the things that are, you know, above and less and less habituated to the things that are below, even though they, they might be good and, and enjoyable and these sort of things. And that doesn't, again, it's not a sort of like we can't, it's not saying that we can't enjoy the good things of, of this, of this world, but where do they sit? I guess that's the question, you know, where do they sit in the hierarchy of my day and the hierarchy of my priorities are like, are, is like food and drink there before God if it is like that's a simple example, but like here we see a problem, and often they are, you know, they are. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, final thing. I know that you like this especially. Um, we hear of these 
like four rivers of the underworld uh, in the epic cycle, or I don't remember exactly where the first sources of it are, but but Dante picks this up. And so when you go through Inferno, you pass what the river Styx, the river Phlegathon, and then the river Calcutus, which becomes a kind of frozen lake. And then the last river is to be traversed here in Purgatory, the river Lethe, uh, which is a river of forgetting or a river of the healing of memory. So as they get through the seven circles and then make their way to the earthly paradise at the summit of the Mount of Purgatory before ascending through the heavenly spheres, there's this process whereby Virgil kind of, you know, hands Dante off to those who come in turn, which is like what St. Barbara before he gets his way to, to Beatrice. So this idea of, of the healing of memory or the growing beyond the kind of trauma of past sins. I don't know. Final thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I find it. Be- I think it's the most beautiful scene in the whole divine comedy. I just, I just think it's, it's beautiful because of the hope that it presents and, and the sort of, again, like we've talked about, but like the love that God has for us, he's not just, he's not a, like a juridical entity. You know, he's a father who loves us, who wants us, who desires to heal us, to offer us his mercy, and then to bring us into his life and fullness. And the passing, Dante's passing through this river, the, uh, the sort of washing of memory, it's not like everything's forgotten. It's not like in Harry Potter when they use, what what is that thing to wipe like everybody's memory? You know, at the end of like they, one of the saddest scenes in Harry Potter is when Hermione wipes away her parents' memories and they don't remember her. Do you remember that? I don't know. Gosh, read Harry Potter sometime, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but the, it's not a sort of like your life is wiped, but like, like you said, the, the pain of memory of our sin, of sin that's been committed against us, you know, even that, you know, our Lord's mercy extends to even even that to, to bring us freedom, to bring us healing. And I just find that to be so beautiful. I find that to be such like a beacon of hope, of expectation, of like, I'm ready for that now. Like, you know, let me, let me bathe through and follow Dante too. Um, yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful scene. It is indeed. And then you get to like a strange carnivalesque type procession of mythical beasts and humans and other things besides. And then you're just ready for paradise. Party on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, folks, you can look forward to hearing more about the Paradiso in next week's installment. And uh, there's some cool cross lauding between Franciscans and Dominicans, uh, which is which is a gem of uh, yeah of that particular. Well, it's especially precious to us given our tradition. But um, yeah, maybe that's an opportunity for us to cross laud the folks from Poco a Poco. I don't know why I call them folks. You're not folks, you're friars. What's up? Um, so thanks for shout outs from Father Mark Mary, Father PT, Father uh, Angelus, Father Innocent. And we send back love your way. Uh, so maybe we could do some cool cooperative ventures in the future. Remains to be seen, but let's just why start not? stirring the pot. Yeah. Because then people, it's not a pot. There's not. What what am I doing? I don't know. All right. Um, so, Very poetic. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dante has me inspired. And with that, we're going to lapse into silence. But before we lapse into science, science? Oh, my gosh, Gregory. Learn to speak. All right. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of God's Planning. If you would, follow us on Facebook, um, Instagram, X, TikTok. I don't think we have a Threads account, but maybe we will. Nah. Um, if you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, you can follow the link in the show notes and or description. In the same uh, show notes and or description, you'll find links for merchandise and then for upcoming upcoming God's Planning events. So we have some one-day events here uh, in the spring semester or in the spring months. Academic schedule is not universally shared by all human beings, so there you have it. Um, yeah, that's what we got for you. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Planning. Thank you.